Hello, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today we are joined once again by Carly Bassian, a sex ed consultant in the Ontario school system. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. Okay, so today's article, Carly, is not an article at all. It's actually a TED Talk called Why We Need to Talk About Pleasure, and it's by Stephanie Healy, and it was from TEDx Bristol, February 7th, 2020. This is a 20-minute TED Talk, and I do recommend that everyone go and watch it, but I am going to summarize the main points for everyone right now so that we can all be on the same page before we move forward. So this is a TED Talk about why we should be talking about sex earlier and include pleasure in the conversation. Stephanie Healy asks, what do we have sex for and why do we have sex? And she talks about the reasons, which are, in her opinion, connection, enjoyment, pleasure, and play. And by avoiding talking about those four things and the pleasure of sex, we're doing a huge disservice to ourselves, the next generation. We and they deserve these experiences within our relationships, is a direct quote. So sex ed right now creates the idea that there's only one normal approach to relationships, and they use a lot of crude diagrams. The idea that by not being open with pleasure information, the pleasure gap between men and women continues to widen. There's still a lack of real pleasure information and what sex is for, or at least that's what she contends, which again, she repeats, it's for connection, enjoyment, pleasure, play, and for everybody. She says compartmentalizing sex education into one unit at school taught by an overworked teacher is not enough and teens are learning from free access to pornography, which is a big business with little regard for what it's teaching, and mentions that the average age of first seeing pornography is 11 years old. So she talks about how we as a society want to preserve naivete and innocence and not frighten anyone. They see talking about pleasure as crossing a boundary, inappropriate, or hypersexualizing children. But the aim with teaching pleasure in sex ed is that we want the next generation to understand that sex and relationships are about connection, enjoyment, pleasure, and play, so they can recognize it when it is not these things. And then she adds in a few tips for when kids ask questions. So using correct body part terminology, sex isn't shameful, it's normal, healthy, and natural, and keeping fun and connection at the basis of your conversation. I need to watch this TED Talk. It's on my list. This basically sounds like exactly everything that I try to practice and preach myself as a sex educator. Yeah. She really summarizes things really well. Sounds like it. That'll be my evening watch tonight. Okay, so obviously her TED Talk is all about pleasure and sex ed. So given your master's degree, what does reproductive education miss? In Ontario specifically, there is a huge gap in the curriculum, and it's exactly this. There's really no opportunity for teachers to talk about pleasure and sex. And it's a very interesting ethical question for all of you teachers out there. I'm sure you've had this discussion with your colleagues before. I remember when I was doing my research project during my master's degree, which in case you didn't hear in earlier episodes, my master's degree is in education and specifically sexual health education and best practices. And I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine while in school, and he was talking about how there's no mentioning of pleasure in sex ed. And my immediate my immediate response was, well, why would we talk about that in school? That's not a teacher's you know, responsibility to talk about pleasure. And he just asked me, well, why not? When pleasure is such a fundamental piece of sex, why why don't we talk about that in school? And I truthfully don't have the answer. It's something that I've contemplated for a long time and it is missing. And the more research I have done in best practices, teaching sex education, I'm starting to lean more towards the importance of truly teaching holistic sex education. And by holistic, I mean everything under the sun. You're talking about the good, the bad, the ugly, the exciting. 
And to not talk about pleasure in sex ed is a disservice. I've mentioned this in previous episodes as well, that in Ontario, the sex ed curriculum is very risk focused and very reproductive oriented. So when we talk about reproduction, it's exactly what you would think. It's talking about the menstrual cycle. It's talking about the sperm cycle. It's talking about what makes a baby, but nothing more than that. It doesn't talk about why people have sex beyond, you know, procreation. People have sex because it feels good. Yeah. And then one thing that's really frustrating about that, it's talking about the idea that we don't talk about pleasure. But the truth is when you're teaching reproductive sex ed, you are talking about pleasure, only male pleasure, because how are babies made when a man ejaculates? Well, how do you get a man to ejaculate? It has to feel good. Right. He masturbates. He's inside of you. The feeling stimulates the orgasm. So we learn all about how men orgasm which is male pleasure. Mm-hmm. And we're not learning about pleasure as a whole beyond penis and vagina male pleasure for the purpose of making and preventing babies. Right. Because the female orgasm feels good. And sure, there there is some evidence to support that as a woman orgasms, it may actually help increase the chance of conceiving because of the contractions of the uterine uh, walls um, in your cervix. It helps bring the sperm up into the uterus. But that's, I did not learn that in school myself. I learned that later on in life. And that's a valid point, right? That it's it's so inherent to reproductive sex education is that when a man ejaculates to release sperm, it's because he's having, well, not necessarily because he's having an orgasm. It's possible they're not, but most of the time they are also having an orgasm. I also think it's interesting that we can't even talk about the female orgasm without trying to find some scientific reason as to why we should try and encourage them for baby making. Yeah, other than it just like feels good and helps with headaches and helps with period cramps. There's a lot there's a lot of health benefits for a woman to have an orgasm. Right. And there's also, I mean, so many different kinds of ways that women can orgasm. There's also, I mean, suspicions that women who orgasm from penetration, they're just having the clitoris stimulated internally because it's a much bigger organ than people learn about in school. Right. Like the crude diet diagrams that Stephanie Healy refers to. She's talking about a drawing of a penis and testicles or a drawing of a vulva where you have to label the vaginal opening and the urethra and the clitoris. And there's never any hair on it either. (laughs) Never. Never. I remember seeing the internal picture of the penis and you see how like the tubes connect to the testicles. And with the woman, you see the internal connection to the uterus, but you never see the drawing of the clitoris and how big it actually is and how the ends of it. And it's fascinating. If if you haven't seen a diagram of of eyesight clitoris, we've We'll figure that out. Yes, clitoris, clitoris. You know, it's a tree and the branches of the tree, the roots of the tree are so deep inside. It goes all the way, I believe, to your back almost. It's And that's why when a woman has an orgasm, it's often described as this full body experience because the clitoris, clitoris, it's so deep. The nerve endings run all throughout the lower body. It's fascinating. Yeah, there's actually something called, I think it's called the Clitoris Project. And their entire thing is that they have people do chalk drawings around the world and then just submit their photos. And it's chalk drawings of that like big tree. I think it looks like a penguin a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I just always described it as kind of like a a reverse penguin. Anyway, but the idea being that they're drawing the shape everywhere to try and educate people about the fact that this exists and it's so much bigger than just like the nub on the end. Mm -hmm. And also people don't realize that the Clitoris Clitoris also Enlarge, like it gets engorged when you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, you almost have a mini erection, effectively. Right. I mean, I want to make a, a joke about like, well, could you use it to like fuck your partner? But like, it's not quite big enough for that. No, I mean, you could have an elongated clitoris, but I think uh, it'd still be too small for that. But hey, you, you never know. Maybe that's a thing. I've never heard of it, but you know, maybe. Know. I was going to say, it's the next frontier of pegging your boyfriend is trying to fuck him with your clitoris yeah, and without, you without a piece attached at all. There you go.
I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners who are here for educational content and got that instead. You never know. You, your mind goes to places. It's a fun place to go, in my opinion. The possibilities are endless. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are into. Why not that? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, we've already heard your opinion on including pleasure in sex ed. If we were going to build a new curriculum that did include pleasure, what would what could that look like? That's a very good question. I think it starts off really young. It's very common for young kids to masturbate, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. So fun fact, infants, actually before infants, when you're in utero, the fetus masturbates. Like it, your genitals feel good when they're touched. And from a very young age, kids realize that when I touch my penis or my vagina, something feels good down there. So t- how to start having conversations at an early age to remove the shame that goes with sex and pleasure is to normalize it. And we gave this example in an earlier episode where if you're a teacher or a parent and you see that your child is touching their genitals, don't shame them when they are. As long as they're doing it in an appropriate place, let them do their thing. But you know, if you're at the dinner table, you're in the classroom and you notice that your child or your students touching themselves instead of, you know, slapping their hand and saying, don't do that, that's inappropriate. Just say, I'm sure that feels really good. That's something that you can do in the privacy of your bedroom or in the washroom. That's a private moment that you have with yourself, not in front of other people. You know, in the shower. Or in the shower. That's not something that you do in front of other people. So just starting early to acknowledge and recognize that sex feels good, then your kid will start to understand that, oh, like touching myself there feels good. And then eventually they'll get to the point where they realize, oh, I don't need to do this to myself. I can find a partner to do that for me. And then when they start being interested in dating and being sexually active, acknowledging that, of course, the risk factors, you have to be careful about STBBIs and engaging in safer sex practices, uh, pregnancy prevention, if that's something that they're interested in as well. And just saying that, yeah, like even though there are risks and consequences you need to be aware of, there's a lot of wonderful things that come with it as well. And that's perfectly fine. So just balancing that and not erasing the pleasure piece from the equation. So in the TED Talk, Healy talks about how talking about sex in terms of pleasure with children, she says it's crossing a boundary. It's hypersexualizing children. Is it hypersexualizing children to talk about pleasure and specifically with them at a young age? It all depends on how you're framing it. If you're coming from, you know, a place and you're a predator, then obviously that's not appropriate. But when you're having a conversation acknowledging that sex feels good and you're just leaving it at that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You're not hypersexualizing children, you're just stating a fact that for many people, sex feels good. And this is actually present in the health curriculum in Ontario. So this came up for the first time in the 2015 curriculum in uh, the grade six specific requirements teachers had to teach where they talk about masturbation in the context of wet dreams. And sometimes you'll realize that touching yourself feels good. And that's a normal part of getting to know your body. So that's a perfect way of talking about pleasure in a way that's not hypersexualizing children. You're just stating how getting to know your body, what feels good and what doesn't feel good is a very natural part of human development and growth. And one thing I think we touched on in an earlier episode is the idea that when adults talk about sex around younger people, there's this assumption that the only reason you would be doing that is because you're grooming them. And to be honest, talking about sexual topics with children is a method that that people predators use predators use to groom. Yes. Yeah. But I feel like overall teaching people from a young age, that conversations around sex and sexuality doesn't necessarily mean someone wants to have sex with you. 
is a useful and helpful thing that we need to learn. I mean, just because of the roles that I do, running events at a sex club, working in latex fetish wear, having an OnlyFans where I just post pictures of me in latex, there's all these assumptions that because of those are the things that I do, that that means that I want to have sex with every single person I see when I tell them about this is what I do for a living. Because people are not used to having regular conversations about sex without it being a hypersexualized environment. So when people are saying, oh, you're hypersexualizing children, well, maybe that's what it is for you because you don't know how to talk about sex in a non-sexual environment because you haven't practiced it. Yeah, it's very complex. It's very nuanced. And it's all about the intention behind it. And when you're coming from a genuine place of wanting to educate and giving kids information to make healthy choices. That's that's my motto, right? As a sexual health educator and a sexual health consultant, my job is to empower teachers to be educated, to give their students information to make healthy choices. So when you're saying in front of a class that masturbation is a very normal part of human growth and development, some people decide to engage in masturbation, others don't, and both are perfectly fine and perfectly normal, You're giving your students the space to make decisions for themselves. You're giving them permission in the privacy of their own home, their own bedroom to explore or not explore. And it's not coming from a place of judgment or criticism or encouragement. You're simply stating a fact. Masturbation is normal. It feels good for some. It doesn't for others. And both are equally normal and perfectly fine. I think some people have a fear that people will ask them personal questions or make assumptions about who they are as a person. And the truth is you can't keep people from making those assumptions. No, especially as a teacher, right? And you try your best to remove your own values and judgment because that's another complex piece of being a teacher is you may have opinions about those topics that you may agree with, may not agree with, but you do have to teach it. And of course, your students are going to make assumptions about who you are as a person. And what I suggest as a teacher or even a parent, sometimes your kids are going to ask you questions because they truly are curious. They're not trying to be nosy. Sometimes they're trying to be nosy. More often than not, it's coming from a place of sheer curiosity. And you have to exercise your judgment, right? I wouldn't go into detail about like how you personally masturbate. I think that's completely inappropriate. I also don't think it's appropriate to share your masturbation habits like that's not the point of teaching you again it's not about what you do as a person you are just giving them information to make choices and sometimes there are anecdotes that you that you may want to share as the teacher it is very sensitive and sex ed but you also want to humanize and normalize it like by saying you know when I was your age I had the same sorts of questions and I wish I had a role model in my life to give me this information so I can make choices so there's a way to loop yourself into the conversation to humanize it without oversharing and when someone has asked me a question about myself personally that I don't want to answer I just say I don't think it's appropriate for me to answer that question I'm happy to talk about this in general and I'm happy if you want to share information with me if you want advice but I can't share that information with you. It's just not an appropriate conversation for us to have. 100%. That's exactly what you need to say. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Right. That's also the difference between grooming and having an open conversation about sexuality. Because someone who's grooming you would say, well, this is what I like. And they're doing it with the intention of then making you think of them in a sexual context. That being said, when it is a group of adults having conversations, we do get together as girls and talk about what we like. Because that's how we're learning from each other. And when I was first doing research into just sex educators and checking out all their Instagrams and just doing more research into the industry in general, there are so many sex educators who are focusing on things like pleasure, pleasure school, how to pleasure yourself, looking at your vagina in a mirror, learning how to find yourself again. And there are a lot of people teaching pleasure, but to adults because they never got it. 
they have to unlearn so many messages and relearn positive ones because they didn't get it from a younger age. Absolutely. And I, as again, as a sex educator myself, I'm constantly trying to unlearn and unteach myself based on what I was told growing up. And for you listening, you're one step closer to being that positive role model in a kid's life to get them information they need to be healthy young adults one day. Until, of course, you give information and then someone else overhears you and they misconstrue it. No, I'm just kidding. But what I would say is there is occasionally issues with parents having different values than other parents in their community. And if they're giving information to their kid and their kid goes and tells another kid, and that's always a concern I think parents have. And it's a normal concern and it will happen. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it won't. It absolutely will. And you have to just share with your kids in confident, like confidently, not in confidence is in a secret, but like confidently and share that, you know, this is what our family value is. And one day you'll be old enough to make your own decisions. And you may have friends that feel otherwise and think otherwise. And I think that this world would be a much brighter, happier place if we just accepted the fact that people will have different views and will have different opinions. But as long as we're respectful of them and we question them critically and learn from the the other side, if you will, I think that there would be a lot more acceptance in the world. So of course your opinions are going to be different but that's up to you to decide. I think a lot of parents really just want to raise happy, confident, emotionally and physically healthy children as much as they can be responsible for that. And I think a lot of parents think that having conversations around sex and pleasure is not going to raise them to be confident or happy in those ways. Because kids having sex means they're not confident or happy. There's this assumption that if your kid does have sex at a younger age, it's because they have self-esteem issues or daddy issues. And that's also just, there's no science connecting those two things at all. No, definitely not. You can be the most wonderful, caring, loving parent, sharing all the right information. And your your kids will most likely still make choices that you don't agree with or don't understand or, or just objectively bad decisions that are unsafe. And you can't, you can't blame yourself for that. Kids are going to do their own thing. We've all been there. We have all been kids before and we have all made stupid choices or choices that we knew that if our parents found out, they'd be surprised by. But that's that's part of the mystery of parenthood. You can't always predict these things. So the best you can do is give your kids information so that hopefully when they're in that situation where they do have to make a really big decision, they're going to make a decision that makes sure that they're safe. Okay, so one other thing from the TED Talk that I mentioned in my summary, and I'm going to read this again. The aim for talking about pleasure and sex ed is we want the next generation to understand that sex and relationships are about connection, enjoyment, pleasure, and play so they can recognize when it is not these things. So far, we've sort of talked a lot about masturbation, learning what you like, right? You can't tell a partner what you like if you yourself don't like all of those very... Which I wish I knew before I started dating because I did not have that epiphany until my early 20s. And that's such a critical piece of human development is how can I expect to communicate what I need for my partner if I don't even know what I need myself? So that that is huge. And that is something any teacher can say without it being creepy. It's just you need to get to know your body for you to be able to communicate what you like to other people. And there's this assumption that a guy, guys have this assumption too, even as high schoolers, the idea that they need to give a girl an orgasm and they're not a good partner if they can't give their girl an orgasm. But so many orgasms that women have have in partnered situations, it's still them doing it. Their partner's just helping. Yeah. Right? Like they still they still use a tool like a vibrator. Their partner's hand might be on the vibrator. Their hand might be on their partner's hand on the vibrator. The partner might be doing something else to their body while they're doing what they need to do to get off. And And I know men similarly where they need, you know, they need to be involved in the process because when you get to know your body so well, 
And sometimes you just don't have the energy and you don't want to explain to your partner, oh, touch me here, touch me there, harder, softer. Right. It's taking so long today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing wrong if you're getting assistance and helping yourself at the same time. And so that's part of it. You need to know how to communicate that. But the part that I found interesting about this is the idea of being able to recognize it when it is not these things. We've talked a lot about how sex feels good and that's why people do it. But there is a lot of bad sex out there. Mm-hmm. I've had my fair share of bad sex. I'm sure you have. Not every sexual encounter is a positive one. Mm-hmm. So what is the value in recognizing when something doesn't feel good? It can be very traumatic for people who aren't in tune with their body and don't understand when something feels good or feels badly. And when it does feel badly, how to communicate that. I have quite a few friends who have had actual diagnoses or, you know, whether it's physical or mental, where they have a lot of pain during sex. That is a, it is a very common experience for women. And we, we have a lot of pressure put on ourselves by our partners that we have to perform and show up and push through that. And yes, even though it hurts a little bit, I'm feeling a little bit dry, or maybe my vagina is just very tight because I'm feeling nervous or I'm not comfortable we we often push ourselves to just keep going. And I think that's a common pressure that we put on ourselves, whether it's internal, whether it's expected of our partners or we feel like it's expected of our partners. I have friends that are just so traumatized by the idea of sex because it's always been painful for them. If we can give at an earlier age tools for, for kids and for students to understand that like you have to be in touch with your body. Sex in the general sense, and I don't just mean intercourse, but oral sex, hugging, kissing, whatever you define it as, if it doesn't feel right to you for some reason, and maybe you don't even have the words to articulate it, you have to express that because you're not doing yourself a favor. And you may think that your partner knows that you don't feel comfortable. You would be so surprised how many times I've told my partners like, oh, do you know what? This isn't really feeling good for me, or I'm really not in the mood anymore. And they had no idea because I was really good at faking it. And I was really good at masking it. And women become really good at faking it, unfortunately. So if we can empower girls to be in tune with their body and, and learning how to say, this doesn't feel good to me. I don't want to do this. And starting by exploring your own body before even introducing a partner into the equation, I think that's very important. And I think it's also important for boys to also look for the signs and cues for when their partner's not really into it, because it's really easy to overlook those signs. And sometimes you may interpret a sign to mean one thing when it isn't, which is why consent and asking verbally is an important part of that sexual negotiation. But to look for some signs with their body language, their face, how they're maybe tightening up in ways they're not, usually if it's, if it's a long-term partner or something like that. Yeah. I remember being in high school and we would have conversations around what does an orgasm feel like? And the answer is always, when you have one, you will know. Yes, which is the most unhelpful answer, but it's also kind of true. I don't really know how to articulate it better than that. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a, like a dodge, dodging the bullet kind of answer. There are ways you can describe it, but the truth is it's also different for yeah. different people. But I remember. It's different for, yes, exactly. But yeah, but boys would, you know, if you were having intercourse with a boy, And they'd ask that question of, did you come? And you knew that the answer had to be yes, because otherwise they were going to keep trying, even though you were done. Mm -hmm, And, and I mean, maybe I was just meeting the wrong boys, but the idea being that they would sort of keep pushing almost like, well, we need to go until you come, even if you had a good time, even if, even if it felt good and you were enjoying what you did together, they had to continue penetrating you until you came. And if that wasn't working, let me just pound away at your clit. Just and until... I wonder where that comes from. I have seen that a lot in teenagers. I think that sort of 
passes a little bit once you get into adulthood and you realize that the end goal isn't to come. The the true end goal is just enjoying the journey. Yeah. You can have a very satisfying sexual experience with someone without ever having an orgasm. And that's not really something that you talk about in school either. And you again, like think about movies and television. When there's a sexual interaction, if someone does an orgasm, then it seems incomplete, which is problematic because you can have a very intimate, pleasurable experience with no party coming or maybe only one person coming. Right. As someone who has organized group sex parties professionally at a sex club, there are so many interactions that you see there where people aren't coming. They're just enjoying the feelings and people will be enjoying what is happening in the moment. And it's not all about the, like the way that you get the enjoyment is by doing the things that would result in an orgasm. But people aren't upset if it's not happening because they're enjoying just being in the moment and enjoying what's happening as it comes and not putting pressure on themselves to come or not come or whatever. Or maybe maybe that's also more women. Obviously, we are two women giving the female perspective. Men might have a different one mm-hmm. that I'm sure even LGBT relationships might have different stories as well. So I just want to acknowledge that I'm aware that we are two straight women having this conversation. Yes. And I also want to acknowledge something that we haven't actually brought up yet is people who are asexual. And there may be people who do not drive any sort of pleasure out of having sex. They have no sexual desire to engage in in a sexually intimate way in the sense that we you know sort of stereotype what sex looks like in sexual intimacy and there are people out there who do not crave that and they're perfectly happy having a partner or no partner and just you know holding hands and hugging and and that's how they derive intimacy with their partner it's not necessarily about pleasure in terms of genital stimulation you can derive pleasure just by human connection and that's not only with people who identify as asexual, there are a lot, whole spectrum of people who can feel intimacy and get pleasure out of those sorts of interactions. That is a lovely moment for us to pause and take a commercial break. We are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring Sex News with Ray, please send us a DM on Instagram at sexnewswithray or email us at sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Carly, it's time for a listener question. How do I tell my child to try to avoid sharing what we talk about at home as a family? I don't want other parents to feel like my child is the one giving all the kids information about sex. I would love to challenge them and ask why they feel like they need to keep the information that they're sharing with their child a secret. If they're giving their kid really valuable information that would benefit others, I don't think that's anything to be ashamed about. I think that if you feel concerned about your kid knowing information, then maybe don't share it with them because kids will share things. That's up to you to decide how much is too much or too little. My parents, you know, speaking from experience, were always very open about sex. And I think that really helped me be a support for my girlfriends and even guy friends throughout school to be that that non-judgmental open heart, open ears, and to have conversations. There's always a concern that kids are going to share information with each other that's not correct, so your kid may misinterpret, but you can't avoid that. It's a part of life, and what, are you going to just completely shelter your kids and not tell them anything ever? So I would would challenge them to really question why is there a concern, what are they sharing that they're so afraid of, and what would the consequence be? And if you're concerned that you're going to share with your kid your insights and your information about sex, and then you're afraid they're going to tell someone and then that kid's parent's going to be upset. Well, 
if they're going to be upset, is that a sort of friend you want to have in another parent? And I mean, I get it. It's way more complicated than that. And it's very sensitive. But I think that, that this would be a good opportunity for you to reflect on why you're so bothered and so nervous about that. I don't know if you want to add to that, Ray, but that's just sort of my my initial reaction to that question. Yeah, I have a few disparate thoughts, so I'll try and bring them together. The first is, uh, by the way, Carly, I agree with everything you said. Why wouldn't you want your kid to be sharing that information? But I do think that parents are very conscious of the fact that they are raising their children one way and that it's not their job to judge other parents for how they're choosing to raise their kids. And I think that this this listener probably wants to be conscious of that based off of a little bit more information that, you know, I got that was not obviously in this question. I think that they're just very sensitive about making sure that other families don't feel judged for their parenting choices and they don't want to be judged for their parenting choices. Right. When that person says that, I think there's this fear of being judged as a bad parent because you gave your kid too much information, according to other parents. I think that there's just so much judgment around parenting in general. And there's so much mixed information on how to be the best kind of parent you can be that it's hard to feel like you know what the right answer is. So I think that's Mm -hmm. some of what's coming out here. I know another parent or parents, I should say, they gave their eldest child information on birth control in the form of a poster and put it on the back of their bedroom door. And their child said, I know all of this. And if I have questions, I'll just come ask you. The parent said, this isn't for you. This is for when your friends come over in case they have questions. That's such a great idea. Wow. Smart. Right. And that way they know that this is a place that we will answer the questions or they can get information so that your friends also have what they need. So they very much took the information should be free and easily accessible approach. And that was just a way of also being very clear that this is a safe space to ask your questions, and we will not shame you for them. Even if they weren't necessarily going to be the ones to answer it because they know they'd empowered their child to answer the question for them and give them accurate information. So when their friend says, oh, what's this? They don't need to go to the parents of the friend. The friend can give them correct information as opposed to incorrect information from an untrustworthy source on the internet. I think part of it, though, is teaching your child about boundaries. Some things we talk in the home, some things we don't talk about outside of the home. This is one thing that we're not going to talk about when we're at other people's homes because they could have different opinions on what's appropriate. And you want to be able to gauge that. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, teach your children about boundaries and other people have different boundaries in that way with that conversation. Also, going back to what Carly said, you also can't always control it. So you have to decide what do you think is more important to you? Yeah, you can try. You can try to set that boundary. And I like the way you phrased it, right? Where there's some things we share outside of the house and other things we keep to ourselves. And this is something that is our family value and it's private and it's sacred. But that's not a guarantee that your kid's not going to go tell their five friends the next time they see them. I know what a period is. Do you? Yeah. 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 Sounds, sounds yeah. familiar. Wonder who yeah. that was. Yeah. I mean, I've also been up to no good since grade three. I think kids also really like feeling like they have information other people don't because it, you know, it makes them feel mature and grown up. And one of the other thing that mature grown up big kids do is keep information to themselves when relevant. And that's something you can also challenge your child to do. Once again, understanding that they might not. Exactly. 
Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Sex News with Ray. Carly, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, which is mysexed.ca. And you can also find all my social media handles there as well. Just like with every other episode, you can follow the podcast at Sex News with Ray on Facebook and Instagram and submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Follow me at Wife Bay Ray on Instagram and TikTok and Razor Latex on Instagram, OnlyFans, and Patreon. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant and a special thank you to Blue Microphones. 